Mark chapter five, verse twenty-one to forty-three. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, "My little daughter." Is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her, so that she may be made well and live. And he went with him. And a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for twelve years, and who had suffered much under many physicians. And had spent all that she had, and was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus, and came up behind him in the crowd, and touched his garment. For she said, "If I touch even his garments, I will be made well." And immediately the flow of blood dried up. And she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, "Who touched my garments?" And his disciples said to him, "You see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, 'Who touched me?'" And he looked around to see who had done it, but the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, "Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease." While he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, "Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further?" But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, "Do not fear; only believe." And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, "Why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping." And they laughed at him. But he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him, and went in where the child was. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, "Talitha kumi," which means, "Little girl, I say to you, arise." And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was twelve years of age. And they were immediately overcome with amazement. 
And he strictly charged them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. This is the word of God. This morning, we have a guest, uh, someone preaching for us. Many of you will know Tim Cooper. Uh, certainly, if you've been online with us, you might have seen him read uh, scripture for us. Uh, but if you've been with us for a longer time, Tim and his family have been with us, uh, worshiping with us. And so you might have met them in the James Chapel back when we were meeting in person. His wife is Yukari. His son is Kento. And uh, I've actually known Tim quite a long time, even, even before they uh, were coming to our church. He's lived in New York quite a while, actually, uh, same neighborhood as me, uh, in central Harlem. And uh, I'm so excited that uh, Tim was willing to share with us today. Tim has been a personal encouragement to me over the years. He, he went to seminary, he went to Gordon-Conwell. And so we talk theology, we talk things like that, but... but <laughs> He has, a, has an ability, as we're talking about theory, to be able to, at least for me, to, to speak into my life in a way that's been really encouraging. So some years ago, we used to have an evening service, um, and I invited him to come and preach one time. And I remember, you know, for months afterwards, people who had been encouraged by what he said, re remembering it and talking about it. So I thought it would be a great opportunity this year now that, that uh, he's worshiping regularly with us for us to hear from him. So Tim is going to preach for us, and uh, let's give him our attention. Tim, thank you very much for being willing to share God's word with us today. Thank you, Scott. Good morning, Emmanuel. Whenever I hear a new person preach, I automatically have two questions. The first question is, who are you? Who are you? I think Scott has done a good job of answering that, so I won't go over that again. But the second question, I think, is even more important. Why should you listen to anything I have to say? Why should you listen to anything I have to say? And to answer that, I'm going to tell you a story. But 25 years ago, a young man came to New York City. He was the child of immigrant parents, like some of you, and he came to the city to make a career for himself. But when he arrived in New York, he wasn't taken with the bright lights, with wine, women, and wassail. All of a sudden, he began to be convicted of his sins. A deep sense of guilt came over him. But do you know this young man was foolish? Rather than turning to Jesus, he became proud and arrogant, and he thought he would try to fix himself. And he became more and more depressed. He was in a pit. He actually became suicidal, thought he would kill himself. And then one day, he was walking in Lower Manhattan near Wall Street, and there was a Strand bookstore. There used to be a Strand bookstore there on Fulton Street. He walked into the bookstore because he liked books, and he was homeless and a little stinky, but they didn't stop him from coming in. He went right to the theology section, and there he picked up an old dusty book, a volume of sermons by a 19th century English preacher called Charles Spurgeon. He flipped through the sermons and he came to one which was titled Election. And he thought, oh, I'll read something interesting about British politics. And he began to read the sermon. And there in that Strand bookstore, among the dusty volumes of theology, he found the Lord Jesus. He met him. 
He learned that God had done everything that was necessary for him to be saved, even before he was born, and that all he had to do was trust in the blood of Jesus. I wish I could say to you that everything changed immediately, but it didn't. Conversion is never like that. It took a while, but over time, God brought him out. And that young man is now me, a middle-aged man, and I'm here to preach to you today. Are you in a pit this morning? Maybe you woke up this morning and you thought to yourself, why should I even be alive? Well, I want to say to you, be encouraged. Let's look at this text about a bleeding woman and try once again to find the Lord Jesus. I want to preach a sermon today called Clean and Unclean. Clean and Unclean. I thought I heard an amen there, but I think it was someone else. <laughs> clean and unclean. Now, whenever we approach texts like this that are about healing or miracles, we have to get one thing sorted out beforehand. The Bible is not a medical textbook. It's not a handbook about how to heal people. The miracles that Jesus did, we won't be able to reproduce them exactly as he did them. Miracles are very rare nowadays. But there is something in these miracles they are signs, like I'm looking out and there's a sign right here on 120th Street that says one way, and the arrow is pointing this way. And these miracles that Jesus does are signs that point to him as the Messiah. There's another word the scriptures use to de describe them. They're pictures, beautiful pictures, where you look at the miracle and you see something about yourself and something about God. And so that's what we're going to try to do today. The text naturally divides itself into three parts. A beginning, the woman, a middle, Jesus, the hero who comes in and saves her, and the end where he sends her out into the world, clean and unclean. The third century Christian historian Eusebius writes that he went to the town of Caesarea Philippi, and there he saw a statue describing the events or picturing the events in our text. There was a woman kneeling at the feet of Jesus, reaching up and touching the hem of his garment. And beside her, a plant was growing up, which was touching her, and it represented the healing. Now, some people say it wasn't a statue of Jesus and the woman, but there is some historical evidence for the stories that we believe in. Isn't that good news? We're not just believing cleverly devised fables, as the apostle says. There's some historical evidence for the woman. And she has been portrayed in icons and murals and frescoes for a long time. And her name has come to be known as Veronica. I like that name, Veronica. So we'll call her Veronica today. Now, the first thing we have to know about her, if we look at the text, is that Veronica was a bleeding woman. For 12 years, she had been bleeding. And to understand why that's significant, we have to go back in our Bibles to a very ancient text, which we don't like to read. We don't like to hear in church very often, but it's good. It's salutary for our souls. Leviticus, even the name sounds scary. Leviticus chapter 15. In chapter 15, God first speaks to men. If you have a discharge... If you're bleeding, if you have some pus or oozing, you became something called ceremonially unclean, ritually unclean. 
And then he very tenderly comes and speaks to women. And he says in verse 25, if a woman has a discharge of blood for many days, not at the time of her impurity, or if she has a discharge beyond the time of her impurity, all the days of the discharge, she shall continue in uncleanness. Now it sounds a little hard to us modern people. So we have to ask ourselves, why did God do this? And to that, we turn to F.T. Chong. Now, F.T., I know you didn't think that you would be a, an illustration in my sermon, but I know you'll, <laughs> you'll go with the flow. Two months ago, F.T. Was, was giving a children's story, just like Scott did this morning. Thank you so much for that, Scott. And he raised a prophetic finger, and he said like this, speaking about things eternal and things temporal. He said, children, we should be afraid of hell. And then he went on and he pointed the children to Jesus, who is eternal, and showed them how to trust in him. But as he raised that finger, I thought to myself, wow, that's really good, FT. I like that. My spirit man jumped at that. Do you know why? We try so hard to teach our children the fear of the Lord. The Bible says the fear of the Lord leads to, leads to longevity, a long life. Not always, but usually. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The beginning of knowledge. It's the secret of the Lord, his little treasure. And so what FT was trying to show us and what God has always been trying to show his covenant people is that there is a great distance between us and God. Oh, this is something. God is holy and we are sinners. God is clean and we are unclean. He dwells in light, and we often walk in the darkness. And that's the whole point of Leviticus and all these laws in the Bible, is to show us this distance that separates us from God, and to remind us that we need to come back to him by faith in Jesus Christ. So she was unclean, and she was aware of it. The text tells us another thing. It had been 12 years you know, if, you, if you're ill, if you have a flu or a fever or something for a few days, there's hope. It'll be gone in a few days. But when one year goes, five years, 12 years, some of us have been sick for a long time. It's chronic now. Isn't that the case with sin? You can try to make yourself better, brothers and sisters, but you can't. By one man, sin entered the world, and death by sin. So death passed unto all of us. Every one of us is born in sin. Never forget my son being born, and when he came out, he was so fresh and clean. Even his poop smelled like yogurt, but he was still a sinner. Oh, I shouldn't say that word, my wife. <laughs> but he was a sinner. Babies are so fresh and clean, but they're sinners. And we gently, in a loving manner, say that to you today. All of us are sinners. Twelve years. And then she went to the doctors. But these weren't the physicians, evidence-based physicians of our day. Many of these doctors were just witch doctors. Pliny the Elder writes about first-century doctors in Rome. They are the only people, he said, who can kill with impunity. Isn't that true? If you go around the world, so often people go to doctors and they're just like bad divorce lawyers. They only see billable hours and they take people. 
and she had gone to doctor after doctor after doctor, and her case got worse. It didn't get better. I asked my wife if I could share a story with you. You know, autoimmune disease is very tough. I know somebody who's listening may be struggling with one as well. For, for about two or three years, we were wondering what was wrong with my wife. We went to doctor after doctor after doctor. And then just like the woman in the story, we became desperate, desperate to find out what was wrong. And then we went to a Christian doctor. He was a Chinese American doctor. I only mention that because we're always trying to break down walls and barriers between people. The brother was a Christian and such a gentle, loving, kind man. He sat down with, with my wife. He spoke to her so kindly. And then he said something to her I'll never forget. He said, if I were you, I would go right to the emergency room. And we did. We took his advice. And do you know that brother saved her life? He saved her life. There were so many underlying conditions. Go right to the emergency room, he said. Can I speak to you like a doctor, a spiritual doctor? There are always people who are listening or part of a worship service who don't know how sick they are. They don't know what sin ends it. Today, go right to the emergency room. Go right to Jesus. Just touch him, reach out to him, believe in him. And if you need to, talk to someone. Scott would love to sit down and talk to you. That brother has such a gift for listening. He'll explain to you what trusting in Jesus is all about. Go to the emergency room. Let me tell you something Jesus said. Don't fear those who kill the body, but after that, they cannot kill the soul. He says, fear, though, fear him who after he has killed the body can destroy both body and soul in hell. We are in such a desperate condition and Jesus meek and mild is always reminding us, go right to the emergency room. That's the beginning of the story. Now we turn to the good news. The middle of the story, the hero rides in and it's Jesus. And there are some beautiful pictures in the middle of the story. The first picture, in the crowd. Did you hear that as Sonny read it? In the crowd. Four or five times in Mark chapter five, it says, in the crowd. And you would pass that by, but it's a picture of the incarnation. Jesus, the son of God, the Lord of glory in the crowd. And it's not a modern New York crowd where everybody took a shower, put on deodorant, brushed their teeth. The first century crowd was full of people with open wounds, stinky people, people shouting out, pushing him. But he was in the crowd. I'll never forget. My son and I were in Penn Station and we had allowed my son to, he was at three years that time, three years old. We had allowed him to grow a beautiful Afro. It was one of those big 1960s Afros that he grew out. We were standing there waiting for the downtown number two train. 
that was a time when there were many tourists. It was around Christmas time. It's a lot different now. But there were a group of women who I think were European. They were passing by me and my son. There was one woman when she saw that Afro, she was transfixed by it. And I saw her, I watched her. And as she came closer, she just couldn't resist, reached out her hand and put her hand right in. <laughs> and he looked at me, Ken looked at me, and I looked at him like, what just happened? <laughs> but I understood it was a picture of our humanity. The Apostle John says, we don't just tell you what we saw with our eyes, what we heard with our ears. We handled him, touched him, felt him. He was in the crowd. There's another picture. The bleeding woman comes and she touches the tassel on Jesus' garment. We have to go to the other gospel writers who tell the same story to understand that this was what modern Jews call a zitzit. I love that word. I've been able to say it in a sermon now, Scott, so <laughs> I'm all right. The zitzit. Have you ever seen a modern Jew walking with tassels hanging? And what does the zitzit represent? Again, we'll go to our text to another ancient book, Numbers. Numbers chapter 15. In Numbers chapter 15, at the end of that chapter, God says to the children of Israel, the Lord said to Moses, speak to the people of Israel, tell them to make tassels on the corners of their garments throughout their generations, and to put a cord of blue on the tassel of each, of each corner, and it shall be a tassel for you to look at and remember all the commandments of the Lord to do them, not to follow your own eyes and your own heart. The tassels represent Jesus' righteousness. There's an old, uh, an old phrase that we don't use much anymore, righteousness by faith. You know what that means? Basically means that the only way you can stand in the judgment is if there's a transfer of righteousness from Jesus to you. That's the gospel. Oh, it's so beautiful. It saved my life. Jesus' righteousness is transferred to you. You're unholy. You're unclean. And he gives you his righteousness. He kept the law perfectly for your sake. He lived a perfect life in our place. So here's the picture. The bleeding woman comes and says, I'm just going to touch the tassel now. That's all I need to touch. I don't need to talk to him. Don't need to speak to him. Just the tassel that represents righteousness. And she touches it. And as Scott said, he should have become unclean. But something marvelous happens. She becomes clean, and he still remains the son of God. Have you ever done that? Are you still trying to be righteous on your own? You know what the Bible says? Your righteousness is filthy rags. It's no good. Give it up. Come to Jesus. There's a final picture. The bleeding woman comes to the Savior who will bleed, and she touches him. Now, when you've been sick for a long time, the only people who really understand what it's like to be you are people who have walked in your shoes, people who have been sick, just like you've been sick. She comes to Jesus bleeding, and he leaves her, and he goes to bleed. Do you know that was his life's purpose and mission? to go to a cross and to bleed. Oh, they took him, 
They stripped off his clothes and they beat him. They made him carry a cross up to a hill and he bled. When he was there, they stretched him out like a convict, a criminal. They put nails in his hands and he bled. Then on a cross, after he had died, they took a spear, pierced his side, and he bled. Tradition has Veronica at the cross. A crowd of women, it says, were there weeping. Imagine that. The bleeding woman looking at the bleeding savior. What a picture. Won't you come to him today? Trust in him. The beginning, the bleeding woman. The middle, Jesus, bleeding savior. And the end, he sends her out into the world. The story tells us that Jesus felt power go out of him. He turned and asked his disciples, who touched me? And they said, you see the crowd? How can you ask us a question like that? Who touched you? And he says, no, 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 I know someone touched me. I felt power go out of me. And then the woman came to him. The woman, knowing what had happened to her, Veronica came in fear and trembling, fell down before him and told the whole truth. Do you know that Jesus listens to people? What a marvel that is. We don't want to listen to one another. Sometimes... My wife uses, what is it, three words, four words, all the time. Are you listening to me? You ever heard those words? Are you listening to me? Yes, yes, I'm listening to you, but I'm really thinking about something and not not the Savior. You ever seen Revelations by Alvin Ailey, dance piece? In the middle of it, there's a, what you call a dance monologue. There's a woman dancing, and Ailey uses the old spiritual, fix me Jesus. She's dancing and expressing This great desire, fix me, Jesus, fix me, Jesus. Or perhaps you can think about a monologue on stage. There's just one light, the actor's standing there and telling their story or an aria in an opera. That's what Jesus allows the woman to do. She comes and in her feminine way, I I was unclean and, and nobody would love me and I couldn't get married. I couldn't have children. And then you, you fixed me. Jesus. And what does he do? Does he say, now hurry up with this story. I got places to go. Does he do that? What does he do, brothers and sisters? This. He listens to her. Everything stops. And the Savior, the Son of God, listens to an unclean woman. Won't you come to him today? There's another thing he does. After she's told her story, he changes her name. Says to her, daughter, daughter. It's the only time in the gospels that he addresses a woman as daughter. Gives her a new identity. You were unclean, but now you're a daughter. And the daughter of a king, 
Well, I don't need to tell you who she is. She's a princess. There have been several times here in New York City and in other places where I've been walking down the street on a few occasions. And some people who were usually drunk at night, they would decide in the courage that alcohol gives them to shout obscenities at me. You're this, you're that. Bigoted statements. And as I walked away from those incidents, I would always think to myself, you know, our parents tell us sticks and stones break my bones, but words cannot harm me. Words are powerful though. They can get on the inside of you and twist you and shape you and change you in bad ways. And I've had to come back to my identity as a daughter. Well, I don't care. My son says, Papa, you can't wear a pink shirt. You can't play that game with an avatar of a woman, but I don't care. I'm a daughter today daughter. I'm a son of the king. I read an article in the New York Times at the beginning of the COVID-19 outbreak. And an Asian American woman was talking about how Asian Americans had suffered. There were attacks and people were afraid to go out. Even my wife was a little afraid for a while. She said something which was so profound. She said, in the eyes of other people, we didn't just have the coronavirus, we became the coronavirus. Not true, we don't hear it. Daughter, well you say I'm neither black nor Asian, that's all right, we love you just as well. I have a white friend, a good friend of mine, we love one another and he always says to me, Tim, he works in ministry, you know, the people won't listen to me, I think, he feels so powerless. He says, I'm just a white guy, what can I do? makes me angry because he's a good man and his name is daughter. We have the right because our identity has been changed, not just to love one another, but to do something else that's radical. The last thing that Jesus said to her is go into peace. That's literally what the text says. Go into peace. Walk in peace. Take it out into the world. Now, how do you do this? Charlie Drew always tries to give, and I, I learn from you, Charlie. Uh, that's why it's good to hear people who are more mature than you. I learned he, always, he never ends a sermon without giving you something practical to do, some homework. So I'm going to give you some homework today, right? How do you walk in peace? How did I stop thinking I've got to kill myself? I'm useless. I'm worthless to the point that I am today. You've gotta to be disciplined in the Christian life. The grace of God is not opposed to effort. It's opposed to earning. If you try to earn by making an effort, it's not acceptable. But if, if you are already a daughter and then you try to make an effort, God rewards that. There's something the woman does. We'll go back to the text. She said to herself, you ever, you ever thought about that? She said to herself, if I can just touch the hem of his garment, I'll be okay. Do you talk to yourself? Do you talk to yourself? Not in the crazy way, I know. But do you talk to yourself? I'm going to tell you what changed me, brothers and sisters, how I got back on my feet, how the Lord changed me. I know I've been changed. I started to talk to myself. 
where the world said I was nothing, daughter, son, where I thought, today is my last day on earth. I began to speak the words of scripture. I shall not die, but live and declare the words of the Lord. When I had trouble and I couldn't find the resources, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Do you speak to yourself like that? It's the secret. If you talk to yourself, take the words that Jesus speaks over your life and speak them out. In a week, you'll feel different. In a month, even more different. And in a year from now, you'll be coming and encouraging me the way my brother Scott always encourages me and loves me. You'll be able to speak to people who are in the pit and say, you're a daughter. You're a princess. Rise up. Do you see it, brothers and sisters? So beautiful, the beginning, a bleeding woman, the middle, Jesus, and the end. Go out into the world carrying the peace of Jesus, and the only way you can do that is by knowing your identity. This genre of story is a Cinderella type of story. It's not perfectly, it doesn't fit the genre exactly, but it's type. A woman who's a in a low position, the scullery maid or someone like that. She's changed and she becomes a princess. Why do we love those stories? I like them. They're good stories. We like them because they speak directly to our experience as Christians. We came to Jesus unclean. He transforms us. We go into the world as daughters. I'm going to pray and then I'll hand you back to Scott. Oh, Father, we love you. We worship you. Such a good God. You look down upon us in our uncleanness, and you changed us. You fixed us. And now you're sending us out into the world. Guide our steps. Use us. We believe you'll do it. In Jesus' name, amen.